And, and it's just simply a, a series that I've done, and some of you may remember it, but we have a lot of new people as well, called Boundaries. And uh, I want to talk about boundaries. I don't know how far we'll get uh, right now. Um, and we may just kind of get into an introduction of it. But there's, I want to talk about boundaries of, of, our, of our personal lives. I want to talk about boundaries of a marriage at some point, boundaries of a family, and different things uh, that, that work through the boundaries. And so I want to start that tonight. It's just a simple teaching, but I believe it's so vital to us living for God. And so if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 12 is going to be where we start from, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And then uh, we'll begin to introduce boundaries. Mark chapter 12, it's a familiar scripture. In fact, there's several places in the Word of God that uses some of the same terminology. But Mark chapter 12, verse 28, one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he knew he had answered them well, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him and said, the first commandment is this, and you know it, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And then he goes on to say the second uh, commandment is namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Master, you've said the truth, for there is one God, and none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all of the whole of burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's that, that statement, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. To love him with your heart, with all your understanding. Something about that speaks volumes to me. It's boundaries. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28 teaches a, a, a principle that, that is first a physical principle. It, it's a principle that's, that's absolutely needed in, uh, in, in just life. And then, of course, you can make a, a spiritual principle out of it. And that is, remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. And I have preached uh, messages here before talking about claim jumpers and how they would stake claims in the, the Wild West and in the Gold Rush. And people would go and move the stakes and it would make their, their land uh, bigger. I, I've been reading a book. I like uh, historical uh, history, and which is redundant, but historical stories is what I'm trying to say. Uh, historical stories, and what I've been reading is a autobiography on Daniel Boone here recently. And one of the things that Daniel Boone did in his life is he was a surveyor, and they would go out. and And this is, of course, prior to the American Revolution, when when they started exploring Kentucky, and and it was just this wild, untamed land. And they would go and survey it, but they they had a problem because Daniel Boone would go for one company and he would survey land and they would give out parcels of land. If you were a veteran of the Indian Wars, they'd give you a couple thousand acres and, and they, would, they would parcel that out. Well, then uh, another land company would come or another uh, government. There was a lot of different regional governments during that time. Again, this is before the Revolution and before the Constitution. And, and what they found, and they called it shingling, what they found is you may think you own this property and it would have these boundaries, but somebody else, according to another survey, would say they own part of your property and they would show 
and it would be, uh, if you could look at a map, everybody's land kind of overlapped each other and shingled each other. And, and it's important to know the boundaries. There's a Supreme Court case, and I don't know the details of, of what it was called, but there was a Supreme Court case that, that took a, a lawsuit all the way to the Supreme Court. And it, it was a dispute of boundary between two neighbors. And as they began to do the research back in the 1960s, those two neighbors were getting along, and they decided together to plant a hedgerow between their two properties. And they both took care of it, and, and it was fine. But then one day, those two neighbors got mad at each other. And they tore down the hedgerow. And one of the neighbors uh, put up a chain link fence, but he put it up on the other guy's property. And in the middle of the night, he went and pulled up those, those survey property stakes and he moved it so it would look like his fence was there. And uh, you wonder how did that case go all the way to the Supreme Court? And it hinged on two things. The offending neighbor, the neighbor that was totally in the wrong, said this. He said, number one, my neighbor never complained when I put the fence on his property. And number two, when he finally did care and finally did complain, he didn't complain in the proper time. The statute of limitations had ran out. See, the neighbor who had moved the boundary marker, they call that encroachment, he had built something on his neighbor's property that didn't belong there. But the legal system, uh, at least last time I checked, said that you have exactly 10 years to complain about that. And if you don't complain, if you don't see it, if you don't notice it, then uh, after 10 years, the statute of limitations is done and damage would be done and you would lose. And they, they, he did. He lost the right to that piece of property. Boundaries are vital in life. I would say that if you would begin to think about your life and think about everything you do, almost everything that we touch or do has boundaries to it. I don't have time to go into it in its entirety, but if you would go look at Joshua chapter 15 and Joshua chapter 16, you would find that when the, the children of Israel, they, they came out of Egypt, they walked through the, 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 the wilderness, and they came into the promised land, you would find that every one of their properties came with boundaries. You, this is your property for the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Reuben. This is your property. It came with boundaries, and those boundaries were clear, and they delineated the tri this tribe's portion from that tribe's portion. That way, you're not on the same land. You're not trying to, to farm the same area. Boundaries are important. And uh, what we have. And God has always had boundaries in the things that he does. There in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, when God formed man from the dust of the ground, and, and you find that he plants a garden that he calls Eden, and he puts man that he had formed there. And of course, out of that ground, every tree grows, and, and the, the trees that were, look good, good for food, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But then the Bible begins to put some boundaries. It talks about river that went out to water the garden and it parted. It became four rivers. One was called Pison. The other uh, uh, was called um, uh, Gion. The other one was called uh, a word that starts with an H that I cannot pronounce. And then the fourth river was Euphrates. And those helped the boundaries. In fact, the boundaries were such 
that when God uh, came walking that day on the, in the cool of the evening, and of course Adam and Eve had sinned and ate of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, when, when he came, along with all of the uh, uh, curses that went on, he cursed the serpent and said, now you're, you're going to slither on your belly and eat dust, and, and I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and her seed and thy seed. He told the woman in the curse that uh, uh, you, I'm going to greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Uh, it, when you birth children, it will be in sorrow. Your desire will be to your husband. He'll rule over thee. And to Adam, he said, because you didn't listen to what I had said and you ate of the tree, uh, cursed is the ground for your sake. And in sorrow, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will come. It's going to be hard to work the ground. Uh, the sweat of your face will be required for you to make bread and you'll return into the ground for dust you are and dust you shall return but probably the saddest thing is is it says he drove them from the garden and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, angels that had a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life and you have this understanding that they were put outside the boundary of Eden God said you can't go back, there's you, you can't go there. There's always been boundaries of God's uh, promises. In Genesis chapter 12, you, you, it may not say boundaries, but you have to listen to the wording. It says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into or unto a land that I will show you. And the wording there says they had to come out of one place and go in to another place. And so you have boundaries that God creates. The, the uh, uh, Noah's Ark in Genesis 5 and 6 had absolute boundaries. You could only walk so far in that boat before you ran into the outside wall. You could only walk so far uh, one way until you got to the bow of the boat or the end of the boat. There were boundaries, and if you would have left the ark, uh, you would not have survived. Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 uh, you find that when God finally brought the children of Israel to their, their, their place where he was going to give them the law and give them the word he said before this happens I want you to uh, on the third day I want you to put a boundary around the mountain I don't want anybody to come up to the mountain or touch the border of it I, I, I'm going I'm to keep this as holy and he put boundaries he put a fence perhaps around that mountain why does why why boundaries? And there's three things that boundaries do. First off, boundaries define. So, uh, just to, just you know, we we our, our assistant pastor. There, he's from uh, uh, where are you from? I had Cape Girardeau, and that wasn't right. He's from Crothersville. How many of you know your Missouri ge geography? Where is Crothersville? It's in a certain part of Missouri that's called the. The boot hill. Why do we call it the boot hill? Because there's a boundary that defines it. If, if, you, were, if you were like me, you thought Italy looked like a boot. Louisiana looks like a boot. Texas has a very unique uh, 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 picture because of its boundaries. Someplace over in, in the southwest of, of our country, four of those it's called the four corners and you can go to a place where you can put a hand in, in two states and two feet in each state and you can be in four states at one time 
It's because the boundaries are perfect. Boundaries define. The reason we say we live in the state of Missouri is because there's a boundary that says we live in the state of Missouri. But I could take it even further. Let me look at water. Water is defined by boundaries. If it's liquid, it tends to travel anywhere. If it's, if it's frozen, it tends to be uh, more, uh, a more fixated boundary. Uh, I could take a, a, a water and pour it into a coffee cup, and that coffee cup, would do, it would show the shape of that. Or I would take that same water and pour it into a, a test tube, and now it's the boundaries that define. The second thing that boundaries do is boundaries contain that which is within. Um, you know, it, it, chances are if you have a, a dog or a pet, you probably keep it inside a fence if you're going to let it out. Uh, we, we typically don't let our, our dogs just run free anymore here. Now, maybe if you own a lot of land, that'd be fine. But if you're living here in O'Fallon or you're living inside the, the, the suburbs, it's probably not safe for your dog just to run around. And so you put a boundary to contain what's inside. Or you go get one of those uh, uh, invisible fences, and and then it, they can't see it until they cross it, and it, it shakes them. And uh, I remember when those first started coming out, we had a house nearby that got like one of the very first invisible fences, and we would try to get the dog to come. We were really cruel people. And uh, one day the guy came out, and he was holding that, that we didn't know it, he was putting that, that collar on the dog but it was still in his hand and we didn't see it and so we were trying to get the dog and he started running after us yelling well he had that thing in his hand and he crossed that boundary and it shocked him and that was way funnier than the dog getting shocked And but that was when I was a lot younger and dumber and I've repented of that now boundaries contain and then the, the third thing that a boundary does is a boundary protects it protects from what's on the outside. So we don't always have to look at a boundary or a fence or a, 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 a you know, something that, that ke- it's not always to keep you out. It might be to keep something else out. There's boundaries. Boundaries are, in the word of God, some boundaries are absolute. They're, they're just black and white. Other boundaries are principle-based. And, and I found in my life that there are there are usually two ways that we as Christians react or, or, or move or break our boundaries. One of them is willful disobedience, rebellion. There are some people that, that are going to fight against any boundary, any uh, standard, any guardrail, whatever it may be. They don't want to be told no. They don't want to be told what to do. And they will just willfully disobey that and they'll walk right through it. And they can pay the consequences. But the second reason that boundaries get tested is just simply negligence. You just kind of forget. You let things slide. See, when you I, I look at Judas. Judas was part of the 12 disciples. He was just like the other 11. Jesus had gave each of those disciples the power to heal. Power to heal the sick. Power to cast out the demons. And Judas should have, or maybe even did, operate in that same authority as much as Peter. Judas would have had every ability to be 
as, and walk in that power that God had given them, just like all the other apostles. But what was it that caused Judas to walk or fall so far away? And I think the reason is it had more to do when Jesus rebuked him than anything else. If you recall, there's that, that time in Judas's life when the woman with the alabaster box broke that alabaster box and poured that perfume on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her tear with her hair and and and, and with her tears and and, and it was a, a beautiful picture of surrender and worship and but Judas got got kind of bent out of shape and Judas said, you know, that was a waste of money. That 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 alabaster box would have represented an entire year's wages. And so if you can take whatever you make in a year and figure out something that would cost that, that's what it would have been like. It was an expensive gift, and she got, I mean, it, it should, that 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 box of, of perfume should have lasted her her whole life. She would have sparingly used it here and there. But she broke it and used it all. And, and Judas said, you know, she could have turned it in, and we could have sold it, and look at how much money we would have gotten. We could have used it for the poor. But Jesus rebuked him, and we understand now that Jesus knew what no one else knew at that point and that was that Judas wanted the money because he was stealing from him and and so uh, Jesus rebuked him and when Jesus said hey you're, you're crossing a line Judas there's a boundary that you've stepped over it's at that moment that Judas could not handle the Lord's rebuke and Satan entered into Judas's heart bitterness set in anger and loathing ruled his heart because if you'll search through the Word of God and if you'll search even through your own life, you will find that the plan of Satan rests in its rebellion against boundaries. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Well, actually, let's go back further than that. Satan didn't like his limits as an angel of God. Satan was an angel like Gabriel. Satan was an angel like, like Michael, and, and he was there to worship. And there was, uh, But he didn't like those limits. There were limits, and Satan said to himself, I want to be as God. I can, I can be like God. I can be just as good as God. And Satan rebelled against his images, against his limits, rather. And, and he didn't like God's no commandments, those boundaries. There in the Garden of Eden, Satan tempts Adam and Eve and what he what does he do? He tempts the boundaries. Did God say you can't eat of the garden? That you can't eat of that. You you can't touch that. There's boundaries and and he weaseled his way and that's what Satan wants to do in our life. He wants to push up against every boundary that the word of God sets, every boundary that the principles of God sets. And and if he can get you to to ignore or to blaze your way through those boundaries, then he wins. Harry Emerson Fosdick told of a little church there on the coast of England that had been uh, pretty much destroyed or at least really uh, ruined in a hurricane. And the congregation wasn't very wealthy. They didn't have enough money to rebuild it. They were in disrepair. And they were just going to kind of walk away from the building, walk away from the church. But one day, a, a representative of the British Navy came to their preacher and he asked, he said, are you planning on rebuilding the church? And the preacher said, we, we can't. We don't have any money. Uh, there's just no way. And, and the, pre, the, the representative of the British Navy said this. He said, if you can't rebuild the church, we will. Because you see, 
the spire, the steeple of your church is on all of our charts and our maps. It's the landmark by which our ships set their course. And he made the statement, he said, we need your church to help us guide our way. And I believe that today, one of the, 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 the causes that a church has is to help keep the way, keep the boundary. Don't let society change the guidelines and the boundaries. Don't let this world change the boundaries, but hold fast to what God says, the limits that God sets. And here's why. Because there is one great thing that separates us from all other uh, creatures in the animal kingdom. And that is our souls. It's not our minds. Uh, I, I love reading interesting stories and I Every once in a while I come up with a story and they'll, they'll find a new way that an animal has learned to use a, uh, a tool. There, there, there's animals that, that, that have, have incredible cognitive ability and they, they're able to think and, and plan and they've even found emotions in animals. Uh, uh, elephants will, will literally weep over their dead and, and they'll, they'll, they'll have emotions. But the thing that separates us is not our minds, it's not our will, it's not our abilities because there are animals that will fit in some of those categories, but it's our soul. You and I have the very breath of God within us and, and we have that soul of birth because we're Adam's son, if you will. But we also have the breath of God in our spirit because of the Holy Ghost. And so it's almost as if we have a double portion. And one of the things that I've learned is that all things in our life emanates from our soul. Our souls are the most valuable possessions that you and I have. Every action, every thought, every word, every deed will be attached to your soul. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit these pretty quickly. And and in Leviticus chapter five verse one, and, and I want you to pay close attention to how the Lord outlaid the law. Leviticus chapter five verse one: If a soul sin hear the voice of swearing and is a witness whether he has seen it or known of it and he does not utter it then he shall bear his iniquity what that means is uh, if you had if you had heard something or if you were a witness of a crime and they come and ask you did you see it and you lie or you just don't help the Lord took that pretty seriously but watch what he said he didn't say you sin he said if a soul sin or verse 2 if a soul touch any unclean thing the carcass of an unclean beast, the carcass of unclean cattle, then he's unclean and guilty. Leviticus 5.15, if a soul commits a trespass and sins through ignorance. In Leviticus 5 and 17, if a soul sins and commits any of the things that were forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord. In verse uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 2 of Leviticus, if a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord. There's something about that the Lord, he, he, he puts it all back to the soul. So if you tell a lie, it's not just you that tell a lie, it's your soul that was connected. If you stole something, it's your soul that sins. And I, I believe that's why 
the Lord said it this way. The Lord came and he said uh, in, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, he said, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? What does it profit? He didn't say what would it profit if a man loses his life. He didn't say what, what would happen if a man loses his abilities or if he loses his cognitive uh, capabilities. But he said, what would a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The older I get, the thing that frightens me the most is the loss of my soul. It's not my possessions. It's not my physical body. It's not even my mind. I don't want to lose my soul. And so because of that, we have boundaries. Because I don't want to get to the place where I would just one day kind of wake up and go, oh man, I'm lost. You're not going to, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out, you're not going to just accidentally lose your soul. You'll have to work kind of hard to lose your soul because the Lord has put very clear boundaries in our lives and in things that, we, that, that are in our lives, and He's put those, those boundaries. And because of that, you will know if you know God's word, I guess that's the key. You got to know God's word, but you'll know I crossed the line. You're not going to accidentally sin. So we have boundaries. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, and I'm going to ask you to stand, and I know I'm cutting a little short, maybe of a, of a normal time, but it's because I either have to stop here or you got to let me preach basically a whole nother sermon so I can get through it. So I figure this is a good stopping point. And then I want to talk next Wednesday, Lord willing, about the boundaries that we have in our lives. But Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says this. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, to the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart help you out. It means the Word of God has the ability to get into the deepest, darkest places in your life. And it will tell you very quickly have you crossed a boundary or not. The Word of God will keep you. The Word of God will protect you. The Word of God will convict you. The Word of God will strengthen your conscience if you'll let Him because God is a God of boundaries. And remember, some boundaries define. Some, the fact that we're called Christians means there's some boundaries that define us. And when you walk into school, when you walk into your work, when you walk even into some of your families and maybe some of you have families that are not saved and you walk in there they see something different about you. Why? Because there's boundaries that define you. Some of you that have, have, have lived a life prior to, to, to salvation and, and then maybe later in life you were saved, you, you may have had people come up to you and say, you're different now. You don't 
act the same way. You don't go to the same places. You don't do the same things. Why? Because those boundaries define who we are. Those boundaries contain. They contain us. And, and, and the Lord talks about us as, as, as a, a treasure that he has in earthen vessels. He, he, he's got, he contains, but it's also some of the boundaries we have protect us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was saying this, I am praying and I am hoping and I am believing that the word of God will put boundaries around you that will protect you until the coming of the Lord. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, if you, if, if you step above a couple verses, it says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from all appearances of evil. Those are boundaries. And, and next week, we'll, we'll talk about the boundaries of our lives. We're, we're going to hit a few things. We're going to talk about the boundaries of, uh, of our body. And then we're going to talk about the boundaries of our mind. Because boundaries are important. And I want us just to pray. I've, I've just taken tonight to, to introduce it and to get us started. And that way, next week, I can jump right into it. And we can get into some biblical boundaries that God has provided for you and I. But I want us to pray right now that even before I get to preach it, even before I get to, to uh, ne- next Wednesday to, to start talking about it, when you're reading your Bible, you're going to see those boundaries that God presents. And they're not always no boundaries. I want you to listen to that. It's not always don't do this boundary. Sometimes what you do becomes your protection. Sometimes how you behave becomes your protection. It's not always a don't do this. Because sometimes your boundaries just define us and contain us. Many times they protect us as well. I want us just to bow our heads. Can we pray right now? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you and we bless you. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for their hunger and desire for the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would allow me, that I would would follow your word, and I would love you with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, to love you with my actions and to love you with my knowledge and to love you with my emotions and to love you with my very soul. God, would you let me understand the the word of God and the boundaries and the protections that you have given us. That, Lord, you're not willing that any should perish. And so you have done your very best through your word to give us a direction. And if we will follow you and if we will follow the path, we will find ourselves in less trouble than if we try to blaze a trail through life on our own. And I pray that you would help us as we understand our boundaries and we give you glory, O God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Would you go with God? Would you go with his mercy? Let's come back Sunday ready for an incredible time and a move of God. God bless you in Jesus' name.